0: Let's go. Hello, everybody, welcome back. To a long missing episode of Localcast, episode seventeen. I am your host, Rick Harding, here with the awesome Craig Maloney. Craig, how are we doing today?
1: I'm doing fine. You know, it's it's been really quiet in the tech world. I mean, there hasn't been a
0: whole lot going on. No, you know,
1: been, I mean it's like we could have we could have just, you know, kept on going and nothing would have ever happened. It was just quiet.
0: I, we've missed nothing the last month and a half while we were away with the multitude of uh events going on. Uh, nothing Nothing really important. Just, you know, I had some wisdom teeth out. Uh, you took a little holiday time, I hear. Yeah, um,
1: Microsoft bought Skype. Yeah, you know, oh. just out
0: of the blue. Well, yeah. <laughs> we need. This will be our last episode recorded. It's, it's just... a Skype call recorder. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I think Microsoft just went into the couch cushions and said, you know what, I'm going to buy a phone company.
0: <laughs> yeah, i I so let's just jump right into the news, I guess. That's that's a big <laughs> one. Um, there was rumors of Facebook and, and Google wanting to, to, to buy Skype. There was Skype wanting to do an IPO, which if you watched anything about the LinkedIn deal, I would imagine the Skype IPO would have just set investors into faints and, and heart attacks. Um, but, yeah, so Microsoft bought them. And, they. you know, it's interesting because they have, you know, like this Xbox. You can do the uh, chatting through and all this stuff. And I guess their idea is just to say, "Hey, we can you know Verizon's putting Skype on their phones. Why don't we put them on our Windows phones? Why don't we put it in our Xbox? Why don't we put it um on the pcs and we have end to end to end um communication medium, which in a way they kind of already had, but I think it's just never really solidified with all their various windows live messenger bruhaha whatever they call it
1: yeah, i mean the the thing with Skype is that it is it is literally. I, I would say it's 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 the one thing that could possibly supplant the phone company as we know it, and Microsoft just up and bottom.
0: Yeah, I, I'm a bit back and forth. I mean, we do use Skype for the shows, um, and that's because from experience, people say that a it's the best quality uh, dealing with uh, audio, you know, bandwidth and stuff. Um, however, for all my daily call, I, I mean, I never use it outside of this really. Um, I really only use it for you know these you know our interviews and whatnot. But everything else, I tend to use Google Voice and stuff with. It's integrated with my cell phone and all that. So I find that I, mean, I use it from the computer through my Gmail interface and things. So, but I, I definitely notice at times that the quality is not as there. So, um, it, you know, i here's hoping that they they don't kill a Linux client.
1: Thank I, you, a <laughs>
0: redheaded stepchild that it has been to date anyway. But um, I have to be honest, I'm holding out like a 15% chance we get a new version on Linux.
1: Well, I've been looking at SIP clients, and I'm reminding myself why all of the SIP clients out there are not what I'm using. Because Akiga.net, for whatever, whatever they're doing over there, it just makes everything just not work with anything else. I don't know what they've got. Trying to figure out stun settings and that, yeah. Yeah. Skype is the it just works. I don't have to think about it solution. So.
0: Now at some point we I think we will definitely try out. I, we're, we've heard a lot about the Mumble server thing, which was more of like a team chat kind of thing. But they right. their new release has a, a feature where it will do recording and it will do it server side and will record tracks per person in the call. So that might be an interesting thing to set up. Kind of a you know this team chat Mumble server to call into it and have the server-side recording of all the tracks of people calling into it. And what's interesting is that, it, evidently, I, I hear Canonical and other companies use this as, like, a, you know, of a, a IRC but with voice.
1: Yeah, so conference like, calling solution. Yeah, so
0: it seems like you should be able to have multiple, you know, some, some fairly decent-sized calls on there where I know I really don't want to do more than, you know, a few people on Skype. Um, but then again, I think for a lot of stuff we use it for, like this, I always say the magic number for a podcast is, you know, at at most three, most four if they're good with each other, if they know each other pretty well. So, not that we would use it to have ten people on a on a podcast all at once, but still, I'm 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 hold out hope that that might work. But that involves getting a server together, getting software installed, clients installed, and then the ever interview problem of, you know, hey, can you please install this Mumble software and connect to our server and yada yada yada.
1: Yeah, it's already enough of a pain when you try and get Skype.
0: So that was fun. <laughs> that, that was Skype up and dying on me.
1: Yeah. Awesome. That's the first oh. that's ever
0: happened. Yeah, it is. Uh so there we go. We'll we'll get we'll get into possible reasons for that in the future here. Um but yeah, so speaking of Skype, there it goes. Uh so maybe it's not such a bad idea to start moving on anyway. So there's uh there's our intro. I wanted to um do some event recap. It's been a while. The only big event that we kind of missed the one that we missed we didn't really talk a lot about was we had Penguacon going on and uh, had a little we had our Ubuntu Loco release party there. And I know Craig that you spent some quality time at Penguacon taking in the sites.
1: I did. I spent some I spent a lot of time with uh, George Castro. Uh, I had a couple panels with him. Or I should say, I had one panel with him, and then I uh, was in the panel with him and Sean Powers talking about Unity and uh, and Natty. And I, I have a new understanding of what Natty and Ubuntu really means, uh, which we'll talk about a little further on in the, in the show. But let's just say that I think that uh, a lot of the marketing message was missed uh, yeah. in, in this cycle, and uh, hopefully we can improve it for the next cycle.
0: Yeah, other events we've got, some upcoming events. Um, first of all, we've got the uh, Michigan Loco is going to take over the Michigan User Group, which ah. is our, yeah, we're going to stampede it. No, the, the User Group was looking, they have a new uh, space they have to rent that costs more money, so they were looking for people to um, sponsor, companies to sponsor meetings, and then they'd get, you know, a little, a little speech time, maybe some, you know, logo, whatever. Um And the local got together, and we put together a little donation fund, and we were taking over a meeting. We've sponsored it, and we volunteered to do the material for it. Uh, I'm going to give a talk about PPAs and using them in Ubuntu and the tips, tricks, and stuff with that. And we're looking for more material, so anyone out here from the Mug area that would love to do a talk. It doesn't have to be Ubuntu-specific, but, you know, we're just trying to get, like, the... The guys, the community that that help support Mug from our from our local to get together and, and put some uh, put some short you know twenty thirty minute talks together for it. I think that'd be awesome. And then next up is down at uh, the end of July thirtieth and thirty first. I think is Pi Ohio, which if you recall, I talked that last year, and is a lot of fun. It's a very rapidly growing conference. It's uh, great to have the little local uh, Python thing to go you know. Get some uh, Python love on. Uh, some great talks from a lot of interesting people. They're coming in from Indiana, Michigan, Ohio. I think there was even some people from uh, further away uh, last year.
1: Yeah, it's kind of
0: like a uh, PyCon Lite, from what I understand. It, it is. It's a it's a good mini PyCon. It's it's not. You you can't. PyCon's just so overwhelming with so much material going from sunup to sundown. You can't match it. Um, but this was a good, nice. A nice little way to get into things. Um, if you're new into Python, this is great for you. Um, if you're a little, you know, into Python a little bit, and you you were thinking, hey, maybe it'd be kind of cool to give a talk or something. Do you have some get some knowledge of just one little thing? Uh, this is a great conference to go test that out with. Um, the room sizes aren't too big, and um, they're always they're always expanding, so they're always adding more more material every year. So it's pretty easy to get your talk accepted. Um, so it's a definitely good one to try out for first-time speakers. And as a second-time speaker, I know I've submitted a two-hour SQL Alchemy tutorial session, and hopefully that'll get accepted, and I will have a lot of work to do to prepare some hands-on ORM database Python stuff.
1: That would be very cool. Do you know when the, uh, when the end of the call for papers is? Uh,
0: yeah, that is June. Oh, shoot. I should have put that down are now accepted until Friday, June 3rd. Okay. So get those in now. I know I just got mine in the other day. I was slacking. Um, But the actual conference is July 30th and 31st. Awesome. And I know that they are also looking for sponsors. So if you are a Python-using company that would like to get some FaceTime with some of the great Python devs around here looking to hire or whatnot, uh, sponsoring PyOhio is a great way to get in with some good with the community down there. All right, feedback. <clears throat> Haven't had a lot recently, so people, wake up. Send us some feedback. It uh, could be interesting notes about what we talk about. could be just, hey, you guys keep going. We like that stuff. Uh, but, hey, uh, the email address is feedback at lococast.net.
1: We'd love to hear from you, especially if we're doing something wrong, like mispronouncing Mac OS X.
0: Inside joke there. No, we appreciate that though. Sometimes we just don't think about things, and it's good to know that we can always get better. So, Craig, I hear that Natty is out. Natty?
1: Natty, yes. who uh,
0: the new version <coughs> of Ubuntu is released. We had our release party, and a lot of people were installing at the release party and finally breaking down and trying things out. And I hear
1: boy you, howdy, were people trying things out.
0: <laughs> I hear you might have some opinions on some of that.
1: Yeah, I do. I uh, I installed it on my laptop, and I have to say that I like it. Um, I, <gasps> I- <gasps> what. Yeah, I know. There are people out there
0: that really like it. I
1: I have to say that it is. Uh, there are a few tweaks that I've done in order to get it so that uh, the icons are not Fisher Price sized, and uh, that the dock actually doesn't you know hide as much as it used to in that. But I have to say that with those little tweaks and that, it is something that I am considering putting on my main machine. Right, uh, I understand. Coming from Pi- from PenguinCon, uh and talking with George, a lot of what Unity is about is about trying to get rid of a lot of the cruft that's been in uh, Gnome Two and some of the things that have been accepted as development practices like X-imbed, uh, They're trying to move away from that stuff, and I think that's a very good thing because there's a lot of there's a lot of things that we take for granted uh, that are not necessarily the best way of doing things. Uh, there's a lot of room for improvement. So what a lot of Unity is, is trying to remove a lot of the old, crufty way of doing things and get back to something that's a little cleaner for developers. Uh, another thing, too, is the launcher. Now, a lot of folks you know may not like the way that the launcher is presented. Uh, the launcher is definitely not movable, so if, if you better get used to it on the left-hand side for now until the uh, the Ubuntu Power User stuff comes up, which we'll talk about in a bit. But it's um, what's nice about the way that the launcher is set up is that you can create things that are called lenses. What are lenses? Lenses are uh, a way for you to code up a little bit in Python uh, and change the behavior of the sidebar. Uh, so if you wanted to have a lens, like George had one where... Um, you could do a lens that would do uh, book searches, and uh, it would actually search the text of a book on online on Amazon or uh, on Google Books. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting things that are opened up in Unity for developers. So if you dismissed it early on as you know, it's well, it's just you know, launcher bar or something, or uh, or the dashboard that they've got, definitely check it out. There's a lot of really interesting things. Yeah, that so, coming, so that
0: it. comes across as interesting to me because, you know, you hear a lot of people when they start talking about Unity will basically go, "It's an interesting plugin for Compiz." Right. So rather than knocking out Croft, it seems that's I think part of that's what gives it its its shallow feel that it's a plug-in for a window manager at this point. It it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of cruft removal there. Well and that I was something
1: know. that I, I talked with uh with with George and some of the other canonical folks is that you know the, the marketing message for this really never came across as look we're trying to get rid of cruft. We're trying to come up with a new way of doing things. We're trying to make it easier for people to to customize their desktop. Well, all people saw was Hey, I can't move my sidebar. Yeah. Um, well, I can't remove the menu bar up at the top. I, I can't. I can't.
0: Yeah. Anyone that's in tech knows that change, change is hard and hard and painful. But when I first met my wife, I tried. I got her on. A, you know, I got Firefox on her machine, and she was angry because it didn't have the E icon. All right now, right. years later, she was using a Windows machine given to her by work, and she was, you know, made the comment that, "Boy, I wish this was just my Ubuntu machine," and I about fell over crying in joy. But <laughs> it took a lot of years to get there. So, I mean, I think we all know that just any kind of change is always pretty much bad. And so, well, not bad—the change is not bad, but the reception to change is usually not welcome. So, right, and this is this eh. is
1: definitely the the OS release of six months. Yeah, you know, in this, six months, this is going to absolutely rock.
0: We hope that's for sure. I,
1: I am I am pretty well convinced that in six months, yeah. we're going to and have something that is just far better. And we're going to look back at at the Natty period the same way that we look back at the, you know, the button move that happened where it was you know before they were on the right side and now they're on the left side and now nobody really cares. Yeah,
0: but the thing with that though is a lot of people switch that back. And when you jump into the Unity train, there's not a lot of stuff you can go back to. So, um,
1: but that's that gets back to the uh, the Ubuntu Power Users uh, thing that was. Yeah, com-
0: we can let's jump over there because uh, okay. that's interesting. Because if you listened to my rant a while ago, um, you know all this design and stuff going into Unity, I felt like the message was that we're trying to, and 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 you, I even got this out of like UDS. Mark made the comment at his keynote at UDS that. Um, honestly, we care about the new users. Where you know they have goals of wanting to have what was it four four million installs or something in the next four years? Or was it was it? Four I think years? it was twenty. I thought I mean, it, was, it was a big. Uh, it I, was I, I huge, Yeah, that. it's a fairly decent number of like. And basically, the idea of a lot of this stuff is they're having designers go through test with non Linux people. And so, my opinion, my my feedback, I guess, at that point, as a as a Rick's rant was basically that. Canonical and Ubuntu are going the way of we want normal users and not caring as much about the power users and the, the real Linux users that have been here for years. And so I, th- I think at UDS that, that might have come out and gotten heard because coming out of that, one of the first things was Jono and the community team there have been pushing hard um, about creating an Ubuntu power users group about enabling the users that are not happy with some of the oversimplification of their Linux OS uh, and it's not really a simplification of Linux, EOS of of their user interface, let's say, um, and trying to help them help themselves in a lot of ways as far as giving them the tools and the community to to wrap around to help build and to help teach each other how to tweak and adjust and and enable themselves to to make their you know desktop experience a little more like what they want to see as a power user.
1: Yeah, it's like it's these bunch of people that would be out there had there not been uh, uh, insurgence of, of Gnome, they'd probably be tweaking their enlightenment configuration so that everything looks like an H.R. Giger film.
0: Well, I mean, so here's the thing, is that I've seen several blog posts and things on, like, Planet Gnome and Planet Ubuntu about people that are trying different distros. You, you know, Natty has, has shoved them off to trying Fedora or, um, you know, trying other things. And so, I mean, I, I think there is some real... You know, lash out. Now, I, I, I also, you know, in the same breath, I say that these are the people that, you know, six months or a year down the road when, when they've, you know, had their fill of getting beat up by a different distro will probably come back because that will have given, you know, canonical time and a bunch of time to have several releases to help polish and fill in the gaps that are missing in Natty, which everyone admits Natty, Natty is not a 1.0 complete final finished product release.
1: No, I I I feel that Natty got the skin of the teeth treatment.
0: It it needs a big beta tag. It needs a big Google beta tag on it. (laughs) Right. But um, so you know the power users you know setup I think is a is a way for them to kind of help proactively point people that might be unhappy to hey hey look no we know it's not there but here help help us help you kind of thing, and I think it's good. I think it's a good way to try to hold on to some community that is motivated and has some ability because they're power users to begin with and hopefully some good will come out of that.
1: My only concern with it is that it seems that a lot of the discussion is about, um, first off, integrating this program called Ubuntu Tweak, which I had not been familiar with until I read it on the mailing list. So they're looking to try and integrate that, but they're also looking to try and uh, do some kind of configuration rollback using Bazaar, which... To me, seems like, okay, that may work, but it seems like it's you're you're thinking about how the bark of the trees are going to be there rather than actually figuring out what the forest is going to look like when you're done with it.
0: Well, so in its defense, it's very, very early. right. And so um I, I think as the people that are willing to put in the time kind of float to the top, And take the reins. um, I I think there's potential there. However, I will completely admit um, I'm a bit skeptical. Um, A lot of the stuff with you know there there are posts about people have requested things out of you know uh, Unity in particular. People want to be able to move where that dock is at and things. And a lot of times the feedback from developers, the actual paid developers, are that hey you know that's great that you want that hook or that um, you know some control in there but i have to develop i have to co- spend time coding and testing that in and then i have to maintain that to make sure i don't break that hook for you going forward as we work on unity more and so just because you say you want to give people the ability to tweak and do some of these things doesn't mean that they'll actually have the physical ability to do it um, right there you know there is not a way right now to jump into unity at some low level and go okay move toolbar over everything just works you know so it's not a completely, you know, uh, it's not going to completely help with some of the things that people want. And then the other thing is just that um, I, I'm not sure how much, I don't know how much the effort is is going to turn into, you know, people wanting to change colors or, you know. How this many
1: clean-shaven yaks are going to be part of this yeah,
0: project? I don't remember what it was called, but we've had a, something like an Ubuntu tweak thing before. It was a a program someone wrote that would just you know automatically go through your system and and you know set up some PPAs or download some other packages or I forget what in the world it was called. But, it was not
1: the um, settings, was it?
0: No, no, no. This was like a OS level. It was an Ubuntu, oh, a okay. tool that just rained havoc over every time there was a new release. People try to do upgrades from it. And eventually, I think they actually, you know, got to where they were just railing against it in the Ubuntu forums. Um, I know Canonical spent a lot of time and effort trying to stamp that thing out of existence. Aptitude? Uh, no, I mean, Aptitude's just the installer. Okay. It's uh, I, I'll have to look it up and, and find it for the show notes or something. But I just remember it being the bane of existence for, for several, several releases. Um, and it sounds an awful lot like what they're now... You know, pro, you know, proposing is this a Ubuntu tweak thing, you know, where you go in and you set up, had a bunch of checkboxes to go in and change default behaviors or things. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm,
1: yeah. I, I fear, I fear that it may be very much like that. I, I but it like, seems like it's also going to be a lot more controlled.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I do like the fact that you know what this was in response to feedback, and you know, I said it so. I have to be glad when they do it, right? I mean, I I didn't feel like they were giving enough attention to the power users, and here is an honest effort from the Canonical, the Canonical, you know, not collaboration team, but their, you know, um, community team to actually help with this and to help give tools and stuff. We got Wiki, a mailing list, there's an Ubuntu channel and stuff, and we'll have some links in the show notes for that stuff if you're interested in following it up.
1: So speaking of people that have kicked Ubuntu to, to the curb... Uh, <laughs> Mr. Arch.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, so as you might have noticed with all this uh, talk about Unity, you don't hear me saying a whole lot because I honestly have not tried it for more than a few minutes on a USB bootable CD because I've replaced Ubuntu on my main laptop that I use for work and home every day with Arch Linux. Um, For 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 the longest time, I've said that I don't run Ubuntu, I just run their kernel. Um, because as soon as I, you know, install Ubuntu, I replace it with a tiling window manager. Awesome. I replace all the tools in there. I, I mean, I, I'm not a big open office user. I don't use, I don't know what else is in there, Gwibber, and I don't use any of that stuff. I'm, I'm a Firefox. I'm a Chrome guy. Um, so with all this stuff going on with this focus of the new user experience and stuff in Ubuntu. You could tell this was their target this was their target audience they have picked a target audience they're going to go after that audience and at the end of the day that audience isn't me and i decided that i had a problem i tried to upgrade to to natty beta when it came out i figured i was going to help test and stuff and and give it a fair shot and i went from lts to maverick that upgrade went fine i went from maverick to natty at the beta stage there, and my upgrade completely bombed. I had all kinds of hard drive issues and um, couldn't boot. And I started to look into, okay, you know, another machine, what's going on, what can I do to fix it? I decided, you know what, screw this, the machine's down, I'm due for a reinstall, I'm just going to make this jump to Arch and see if I can get that to happen. And I did. So. It's I have a bunch of running on other machines still, but this is why we call the podcast Lococast and not Ubuntu, Michigan Corner, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just something that I've had coming for a long time. I I, I I still feel that Ubuntu, I am not their target user, and I really am the target user for Arch Linux. There's so much material for my kind of use case and the way I run my system. Um, I, I feel we'll like I'm at home, and I I might I I will say this has not been perfect by any means. I, I do miss having audio Stable working. X. <laughs> I've had the occasional X crash for some unknown reason for sure. However, there's been a few nice things. Um, you know, I go to install Phantom JS, which is a uh, tool that will help me run JavaScript unit tests from the command line without uh, a GUI or anything. It actually runs a, a real browser, and it was kind of cool because there's this PPA-like system, these community packages that are done in Arch that are, you know, as easy as a app get installed away, and that was there. A lot of the things I was either building myself or going to new PPAs to get are all there in Arch. So um, it's been interesting because there are times where I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And there are times where I'm like, uh, all right, I kind of missed it that that was just kind of there for Ubuntu. So... Um, It's a little back and forth, a little give and take. But I think, again, anytime there's change, you get that. So we'll see. I don't know if I'll be on Arch forever, um, but I got to say that I just don't feel like – I feel like I'm even more just installing Ubuntu just to get a kernel out of there than anything else these days.
1: You know, and they even added keyboard shortcuts for you. Yeah, you know – And tiling and – some rudimentary tiling. <laughs> I,
0: I love this. So, uh, for those of you guys that, have, that know know me and what I've done before, you know I helped build the first PPA packages of GNOME Do and was really pushing on people to use GNOME Do as as a launcher setup. I mean, years ago, um, I've been trying to push people towards tiling. People want tiling. It's kind of funny. Uh, KDE's got it. The Windows has it now. Windows Seven has the side by side tiling and all that. Yet, you know, now Ubuntu's got it with the side-by-side tiling that they copied from Windows and Natty. And so in some ways, it's, it's almost like that they've added all these things in that I've been ranting about for years that people need and want. But at the same time, I, I've never felt further away from being the target audience of, a, of an OS, you know, in a long time. So, so speaking
1: but, of, of new happenings, UBS uh, happened yeah I went to Developer Summit for those of you who don't know the acronym
0: and i, I really didn't follow it a whole lot. I, after the keynote, I have to admit i was I was cranky when i when I heard the the snippets out of the keynote with Mark basically all out claiming that I am no longer the target audience by any means at all.
1: well, I, I yeah, I don't know if he necessarily means that you're not the target audience, but definitely. They're uh, let's just to try and get some new blood into the community.
0: I don't, want, I don't want to cut hairs with it. It's not community building. It's um, it's eyeball building, in my ever so humble opinion. Um, but anyway, there was one really interesting thing from our friend George Castro out of there, which I thought was very, very, very true. That and it's that it so Ubuntu <laughs> has so much. People have been using it for so many years now. You think about it. Um, what is this—the thirteenth, fourteenth release or something now? Um, well,
1: yeah, there there have been releases. I mean, I, I would say that the the last really there there have been a few really popular releases. There was 606, 804, and ten oh four.
0: Well, but just the point that that this was you know a bunch of thing going on for a lot of years, and and every time someone you know installs it, they write a blog post about how they fix this bug or how they installed their set up this server. I mean, all, all the time I find I was recently working on setting up some Nginx stuff. I was looking for Nginx, you know instructions out there and there are a lot of blog posts on setting this stuff up however they're all for old versions or uh, well, a lot of them are most of them for old versions and um george brought up the point that this info never dies it never goes away and so someone is like oh my wireless doesn't work so they find some blog post from four versions ago where they say oh well, which we're well, right what you have to do is go in here install this extra thing go find this other package tweak this uh, you know this comp file use
1: fw cutter
0: Right. You know, things that are basically that we know now, you know, we don't use because we either know how to get the right drivers or, you know, we know how to use the proprietary driver tools to say, go get the NVIDIA drivers are, you know, built in versus going out manually and trying to find them from some PPA somewhere or something. So I, I really like this point because this thing was, was you know what, I wanted everyone in the room to go and delete five pages out of the wiki. Just delete them. Don't Don't redirect well, them. Just delete the wiki pages. Yeah, and I thought that's sometimes it's good. You you know you, you almost have too much of an old history footprint. You know what we might call technical debt if you're working on a, a code base or something. You know, there's Ubuntu's getting mature enough to have a lot of that. I thought that was a very interesting uh, idea there.
1: Yeah, because I I don't know how many times I've been bit by something where I'll I'll, I'll do a search, you know, instead of using uh, Linux, I'll use Ubuntu as a synonym, and. Uh, you know, you get dropped to the forums, and you look at the date, and it's 2008. And it's oh, like, yeah. okay, there be dragons.
0: <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so, uh, you know what? I, I think other people should follow suit. If you have some old blog posts on how to get around some kind of problems and stuff, I think it would be very awesome of the audience here to revisit those. And um, if they're old material, I mean, I know you don't want to have dead links and stuff, but you know what? Put a big blank thing at the top. Things have changed a lot in the you know open source world since this was written. Um, this is here just for history only or something. Uh, I think that'd be a big help.
1: Yeah, and uh, or better yet, if there's a new way to do it and you know how to do it, update it.
0: Yeah, but that's just, that's work. Let's face it; people don't want to do work.
1: Well, put in some of the work, <laughs> or at least put here be dragons. Yeah,
0: definitely. So, and along with everybody, all the problems with this thing, I thought it was really interesting how other Ubuntu related distros are jumping around. Ubuntu Studio has decided it is going to move to Xfce, and what was the other
1: was it Mint? Maybe Mint. Yeah,
0: Mint is running okay. uh, old gnome version with some tweaks and stuff on there. so now, i
1: can I can fully relate to Ubuntu Studio moving over to xfce. And I'll tell you why. Because GNOME is a bit of a a memory hog, and I know a lot of studios out there have a little older machine. So running something like Unity on these machines is probably not the best thing for them. So you need something that's a little gentler on the footprint and uh, isn't going to interfere with stuff as much. I'm sure they probably got their butts handed to them with stuff like Pulse Audio Move.
0: Well I know my boss isn't all as happy with the uh, the unity stuff so he was trying out xfce um, and unfortunately the thing with that is just as soon as you start getting away from some of the normal packages you start running into issues with you know pulse audio and your USB mics and stuff like that just not playing all that happy anymore your your sound right. stuff gets you know complicated because a lot of the things are built around assuming other gnome tools are booted and and running and and setting stuff up for you so um
1: well, XFCE's got a lot of that GNOME stuff built into it, too. No, it's,
0: it's 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 one of those fairly close things. So, I mean, I think it's a reasonable, you know, change for them and everything. Um, but I just, I think it's kind of something to put on the radar that, uh, again, I'm I'm really, I mean, I want to fast forward a year so bad. Because I want to <laughs> see how many people come back, how many distros change back. And I, I'm just curious. Or, you know, does it all go to, you know, hell in a handbasket? Does the, you know, does the world end? I don't know. It's like, oh, it's so exciting almost. (laughs) 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 Uh, But we'll have to wait the year out to see what happens. All right, so let's, let's put Natty and Unity and Ubuntu away for a little bit and let's just talk some fun tech stuff. In particular, mm-hmm. this came out a long time ago, I know, but we missed it, but Amazon introduced lending, and there was recently the note that Kindle books on Amazon were outselling all other books on Amazon, be them hardback, paper, whatever, and I thought that was really interesting, Uh, especially because I happened to see a Twitter post where someone was saying that uh, they had a Kindle and and they didn't get it. But um, I had my aunt recently call me because she loved the Kindle that I got her and she wanted to get one for my other aunt for her birthday and was asking me which one she should get and everything. So I've seen it be a real hit with real normal people that aren't, you know, computer literary kind of things, just loving up on this idea of the e-reader. And the fact that, you know... Everyone I know says that they buy so many more books uh, with an e-reader than not. What do you think? Um, I
1: think that the way that Amazon has got their store set up makes it very easy for people to buy a lot of books. And I'm—I have a feeling, I have sneaking suspicion that a lot of the people that are buying this stuff are people that are buying stuff like romance novels and other assorted, you know, fluff books, as yeah, opposed no. to a lot of the techie guys.
0: Well, so and. I would say the same thing, and I think that's where the numbers come from for sure. Are the the six, seven, eight dollar books that people go through, and and I know I read more since I've gotten the e-reader than without. Right. However, I, I promised myself when I got my Kindle, and because it has DRM, and I hate you know, I want to not support the DRM and all that, but I'm also a sucker for the best stuff that works, you know, things that work the best out there. Um, that I would not spend and invest a lot of expensive money on books. For you know, tech books for the Kindle because I didn't want to you know lose those forty, fifty dollar books that you buy when you get into some of this stuff. However, Thank if God I go O'Reilly's through, has got around that. <laughs> well, you know, I'll Riley some, pack some, and I have bought a lot from from Amazon that I shouldn't have. I'll be honest. Um, I actually have a lot of tech material on there, and I've been using it a lot for that recently, and it's actually having me really, really itch to get the larger format. Uh, Kindle, the DX version, which has, a, I think it's a 9-inch screen or whatnot versus a 7. Right. Because I do want to be able to do more tech PDFs and stuff, other material that's not Amazon-related but is tech-related, and even some of the stuff that, you know, the tech stuff, it'd be nice to have more of that code fit on one page than than having to go back and forth between them as I'm trying to figure out what, you know, the latest Node.js code that I'm looking at here is in the sample.
1: Well, I, I know that I've found that I I like a lot of the eBooks and that because I, I live in a small house, so getting a book like I don't know, programming Python or the definitive guide to JavaScript, <laughs> where these things are about the size of a small boy.
0: Does your um, house have a your, page your, limit on it? Does your, your house exactly? You know, two fifty
1: your freaking doorway, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
0: uh i can completely relate which is one of the reasons why i have been so into the 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 book on the e-reader even though i said i wasn't going to do it and also just the immediacy man that instant gratification when you're you get that itch at friday night nine o'clock the wife went to bed early and you're you're like ooh, this Node.js stuff looks cool i should get a book on it dude 30 seconds later when that book's there and I'm, i'm i'm doing sample code and stuff, I mean, you just, you can't replicate that. Or or when O'Reilly has a special, uh, <sighs> yeah. You, you, just, <laughs> you owe me you're like, hey, have you seen this O'Reilly deal of the day thing? And I thought, no, I'll stick <laughs> it in the RSS feed reader. Why not? It's, you know, I got everything else there. For three days straight, they kept hitting all my buttons.
1: Uh, yeah, all the JavaScript books that have been coming down. <laughs>
0: Uh, but anyways, i th- I think it's very interesting that on um, Amazon, one of the largest booksellers in the world that they are selling more ebooks than than paper. and it gives me hope that um, more of this ebook stuff will open up going forward in the future because it'll just be too big of a market to not do. Uh, every time I find a book that's not available or is limited available or whatnot, you know it's it's just like, oh, you gotta be kidding, me! you guys still haven't figured this out.
1: I, I think you'd absolutely be crazy as a publisher not to have an ebook presence. Yeah. It's just, I mean, if, whatever you have to do, figure it out between the authors yourselves and and your uh, those folks that are creating the PDFs and the EPUBs and MOBI files, and just get it out there. Yeah. You know, it's like
0: I, out. I still want man, Amazon EPUB EPUB, darn. It. <laughs> it's the one not thing that happen. makes me makes me want to look somewhere else. But it's one I was like, yeah,
1: hey. Do you like that Kobe? The, or I'm sorry. The Kobo Touch.
0: Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right.
1: I know. I know you don't like touching your screen.
0: No, <laughs> I don't. I I'm reading. I want clear clarity. My screen is. I don't have to dust it very often. It's very nice. We got a protective case for it. I don't want my greasy paws on the screen. You know. I'd say I,
1: though, for for twenty bucks more than what the regular Kobo is going for. Now, okay. So, Kobo released a new version of their e-reader that has a touch-sensitive screen on it for 129 bucks, which is phenomenal price. And then they lowered the price of the uh, of their regular ebook reader to 99 bucks, which pretty much, if you went over to Borders uh, just about any day of the week, you could have gotten it for 99 bucks in the past few months <laughs> without yeah. half trying. So, I mean, kudos to them for for keeping the the, uh, the reader price low and such but i have to say i'm a little tempted and the reason that i'm a little tempted with it is because the kobo interface as much as i like it that little joystick drives me absolutely no
0: i I know the joystick's a problem that i i use my book for reading so i hold it in one hand i want it light i want to fit it in one hand and i want my thumb on the next page button and that's why I want the button there on the edge like the, the Kindle's got. That's the way I read my book. That's what I like. I don't want to have to move over, reach my thumb across the screen to touch it in some area that indicates turn the page. I don't want to have to use my index finger to point and uh, move, you know, to do that, to actually do the reading. Yeah, yes. you like me.
1: You, you Men- don't like to have your fingers on the screen because... No.
0: I mean, and then, you know, and then so you're going to be like, all right, well, to use the main menu, you're going to have to touch the middle of the screen, right? You could be like, okay, well, Rick... They're going to have the next page button as, like, you touch the screen in the very far edge of it, and you'll never notice it. But when you go switch from book to book, you're going to have to hit your fingers in the middle of the screen. Yeah. Maybe I'm just a sucker. Maybe I, I'm just a baby, and I should just learn to wipe my screen down more. I don't know.
1: No, I'm the same way, because I, I remember when people would touch my screen over at work, i want to amputate their fingers for them.
0: Oh, yeah, people that touch their monitors? Oh, I want to just beat them on the head with a mallet. <laughs> oh, uh, um, I, just a quick plug for a thing re- that has a name related to books. Um,
1: oh, come on, just just as it's new segment. Yeah, new if, segment. if if, if yeah. Bookie. Bookie is awesome. Bookie is Rick's bookmarking application. He's not going to say that it's awesome. Uh, I will say it is awesome. He's trying to create a delicious light clone. And I, sh- I should say, it's not even delicious. Just forget delicious. Delicious is just about bookmarks. This is about changing your life <laughs> for the better. This is about changing the way that you deal with bookmarks. Take it away, Rick.
0: <laughs> so, I, I, for years, I've ranted that I want to. Delicious was not moving forward at all for me. Their mobile site was awful. Um, I didn't know why I couldn't search the text of my bookmarks and stuff. I wanted content as well as the links and the tags. But I, I love my bookmarks. I live on them. When people ask me, hey, Rick, how can I be super awesome at Vim like you? I would give them a link, delicious.com slash my username slash Vim. And that was all of my Vim bookmarks. And I would say, if you go through these, you too, Padawan, can be a master of Vim like me. Um and I, I, I live on that. That's how I share URLs and things. And, and I find, you know, I'll run across a note on how to set up an Nginx server for a certain situation. I'll bookmark it with some tags, and then I'll be able to find it when I have to redo my server because there's an OS upgrade or something, you know. So, anyways, when Yahoo announced that they were going to be sunsetting or what has now we know since happened sold delicious, I finally, after years of whining and saying, I'm going to build something, I'm going to build something, I'm going to build something, I finally got off my lazy bum and started building something. So, it's a Python-based, open source, entirely, uh, AGPL, you know, license, um, project written on the Pyramid Web Framework. Uh, It imports delicious exports does uh, we've got extensions for Chrome and for Firefox and recently added a jQuery Mobile version of the site which I think is kind of handy because I know I sometimes hit my bookmarks up when I'm mobile and um, you know I'm looking for people that are interested in helping out particularly people that are interested in uh, just just testing uh, interested in Firefox extension development there's a lot of JavaScript there's a lot of Python there's a lot of um, you know there's a lot of ways to get involved. And I don't know, I think it's been a lot of fun. It's it's interesting to work on a project that's all your own and to continuously, every time you think, well, all I'm going to need is like these three features and I'll be set. And then you get like, well, really what I want to do this one feature is I need these two other things first. And suddenly your feature set's almost doubled, you know, that you have to implement and you kind of get down this rabbit hole. But it's a lot of fun. I've stopped using Delicious for the last two months or so. You know, for a while I was using both at the same time. Um, and we recently released an updated Chrome extension that will, you know, keep track of what pages you have bookmarked so you can, you know, get notified when you go to that page. Oh, I bookmarked that and stuff. So, but it's got full text search support. It caches the content of the web page itself. So you can search it. You can pull it up and read it later if you wanted to without having to go visit the site or if it's down. I don't know. I think it's a lot of fun. It's kind of awesome. And I'm hoping to build a community around it and to kind of, you know, move it forward. Um, but It's moving pretty quick, I think. I've been trying to keep a little bit on it every night.
1: A couple things. Uh, First off, I used to use Pinboard, uh, which was kind of christened by the net as the successor to to Delicious. I have stopped using it completely, and I've moved over to Bookie. Uh, It's just that good. And the second thing is that Rick presented over at Mug uh, all about Bookie to a bunch of hardened Unix users and usually, whenever someone presents something over at our users' group, uh, at least someone will pipe up with something that uh, to be charitable is is, you know tangentially related to what it is that the person who's just is uh, discussing is talking about.
0: We get interesting. Everyone gobsmacked. was
1: quietly gobsmacked <laughs> uh, watching Rick in action. And they were very much on target. So this is. This is battle tested, battle hardened, uh, <laughs> awesome, um, ready for your desktop.
0: And there's lots of bugs that I need help finding. <laughs> 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 they're there. I just don't know they're there. So help me find them now. Um, but anyway, it's it's kind of cool. Uh, hit up uh, bmark.us for documentation, links to the repository, uh, how to help, how to install all that stuff. And there's an IRC channel, bookie b o o k i e on Freenode where I sit around and tell people that, hey, there's new stuff to go check out.
1: And one other little bit of miscellany is Microsoft has guaranteed for all eternity that we will be stuck with Visual Basic 6.
0: First of all, I forgot this ever existed. Having (laughs) Having developed at one point in time in VB6, I honestly had completely blocked it out out of all of my memories to where I was like VB6, and I thought for a minute, and then I went, "Oh, yeah."
1: So, uh, yeah, my I have fond memories of Visual Basic six uh, as well. Uh, most of them, I too tried to drill out at some point, and uh, unfortunately, wasn't was unable to uh, to fully drill them out to the point where the sheer horror of knowing that Microsoft is going to put VB6 up on Codeplex. Uh, it's just a, it's a terrible thing, See, and I think no no one should ever use it ever.
0: There's two ways to look at it. Um, open source is oftentimes the last desperate attempt just to throw something over the wall of a company that's about to disappear. Not that Microsoft's about to disappear, but VB6 should. Uh, and and I I think in a lot of respects has. I think .dot NET if if you develop on that you you're a fan you like it. I mean most. I've never met anyone that preferred, oh, I wish I could go back to VB6 from their .NET stuff. Um,
1: No, but there's a lot of corporations out there that still old crap that is still running on VB6 on some specialized developer machine, I'm sure, that has got all the OCXs and all that other kind of crap on there that they don't have the original disks on.
0: On an old Windows 98 machine.
1: On an old Windows 98 machine that they can't port to any other modern OS. Yeah,
0: and that's (laughs) the... Part B of that is that by open sourcing it, it, it does enable for this Cobolish market of developers to hang around forever, uh, running from large corporation to large corporation, charging exorbitant rates to be able to quote unquote support your legacy VB6. It's hey, more power to me. I, I don't have to touch it. Yeah, me either. So let's get back to I some. Will. Let's get back to some books. Read anything interesting over the last month and a half?
1: Well, I have been reading, and this isn't necessarily a technical book, uh, but it, it is something that I am very much interested in. Uh, I, I do a little game programming here on the side, and I also think about uh, creating my own board games and and other assorted games. So this book really, really spoke to me when I saw it. Uh, it's also one of the few books that I've seen on Amazon that has got 14 solid five-star ratings. Uh, so, yeah. So it's called Challenges for Game Designers. And what it is, it is a workbook for... They, they target vi- uh, video game developers, but it's also for anyone interested in doing stuff like board games or, or role-playing games or any of these other type of games. What they do is they they tell you about what goes into designing a game and they go through it in such a a way that it's very practical so it's not a whole bunch of theory about you know drawing out diagrams or or trying to you know figure out uh zero-sum games or all that other kind of stuff no it's it's very practical they'll give you an example of a particular game and then say okay now make your own version of this game and you could take any one of the the game ideas that they have in there and turn them into an actual game, uh, but either on the computer or via the uh, or via other means. It is uh, it, there's no programming necessarily involved with it. There's no code in it, but it is definitely something to check out if you are at all interested uh, in even considering yourself to be a game designer. Definitely check it out. It's challenges for game designers. By Brenda Brathwaite and Ian Schreiber.
0: Hmm. The Game of Life by Rick. I like the sound (laughs) of that. I like the sound of that.
1: The shoots and shoots.
0: Um, I've been busy breaking my New Year's resolution, it appears. I hadn't realized it until I wrote them all down, but my New, year's, my New Year's resolution was to do more, thus bookie, and read less, and I have failed that. Uh, I read In the Plex, which is the recent book that came out about Google, where the guy was embedded in the company for four years or something. That Ridiculous. sounds really cool. It That's is amazing. really cool. I have to say, I, I mean, I'm a little bit pro-Google, so I'm a little bit biased and all that, but, um... It's fascinating to read like the inside, some of the inside stories, some of the history, some of the stuff you just don't know, and just to get blown away when it, when you stop and think about some of the uh, algorithms, the code, the projects that that they implemented, that they improved, the servers that kept running, just to be at a size of a, I mean, really, like search required its own whole data centers to be built, were billion dollar structures of rows and rows of power. I mean, just it's just Mind-boggling, and uh, frankly, extremely humbling to think that, you know, the guys that they were hiring in the first, you know, 20, 40, 60 developers there, these, you know, superhero of computer science guys that I don't belong, I I couldn't have tea with these guys, you know? I mean, like... (laughs) Holy crap. Um, it, it's an interesting read, and I, I definitely cranked through it. And I, I recommend it for anyone kind of interested in the, the tech scene. Um, you don't even have to be really interested in Google, I don't think. But I think it's because it is Google, a lot of us have know of or have heard stories or, you know, you can relate to various products as they came out. There even things- the
1: legend of Google. I mean, Google's got a whole legend and ecosystem yeah. about it and mythology. Yeah.
0: So it's, it's very interesting. Um, next up, I, I'm just about to finish the uh, an O'Reilly. One of their specials was an early release book called Node Up and Running. And this is in reference to Node.js, which is uh, server-side JavaScript. And the reason I wanted to bring this up was that I've kind of... When JavaScript was all big on the web, I poo-pooed it like, you know what, I, I don't need it. Um, all I have to do is deal with browser issues and all that stuff. And these days, you know, I've got a whole... You know, Bookie's mobile web interface is one page of HTML that then does JavaScript and API calls for everything else that it does. Um, really kind of fascinating, that kind of one-page web application design. And you just couldn't do it without JavaScript, right? So here it is on the server side, and I kind of went, you know, hey, I, I love my Python. Why would I give up Python? I mean, are you kidding me? It's got libraries galore. It does everything. It's awesome. But one of the things I was doing with Bookie was we hash the URLs so that we can um, shorten them and make matching them very easy, and uh, and also to help, we send all the hashes down to the browser plugin so that it can keep track of if you've bookmarked this page or not without asking the server for it, right? So we have to be able to do these hashes all the time, and they need to match, and I need to do it client side in JavaScript and server side in Python. And you want to do it short enough that there's no collisions, right? No two different URLs have the same hash. So it's a lot like a a URL shortener service, you know, where you get like these seven characters or eight characters that represent a URL. So I was testing, like, how short can I make it without hitting collisions? And I started running a Python script and a Node.js JavaScript script, each running its own SHA256 hashing algorithm. Chopping the result down to 12 and 14 characters and seeing how many millions of hashes they could do before they hit a collision. And what was floored me, and I'm probably there's probably something I'm missing, right? I probably I will completely admit this might be just bad code on my part. I've, I've got to have some pros look at my Python side. But the Node.js side was would cross over five. I hit five million uh, checks before I could get the Python side over a million.
1: Node.js is wicked fast.
0: Well, that's the thing is that this was all straight inline. It wasn't using any of this, you know, um, I wasn't really doing any kind of callbacks. It was really just a straight-up command line script. It wasn't even really a big server application kind of thing. But just, I, you know, JavaScript has got to be pretty fast that it's doing these hashing algorithms. I don't know. I was floored. So I've, I'm going to look into it more. It got me more interested in Node.js, Um and I'm very interested in writing some command line kind of stuff with it to do that. But I'm, it's giving me a little insight into asynchronous programming, which you can do in Python with Twisted and stuff. But I've kind of been like, I, I don't, can't get my head around it. I'm starting to fit my head around it more now that I'm seeing it, now that I see it kind of in two languages and I'm kind of getting the ideas explained a couple times. It's kind of starting to click a little bit. So um, it's a decent book. It doesn't go into a lot of depth of actual like running a project. Well, it's also
1: still in beta, too.
0: I mean, it is. It is. So um, there's a a few books popping up on Node.js, and it's interesting, and it's something that I've kind of, again, poo-pooed a little bit, other than I thought it would be kind of cool to do. You know, one of the first examples was that, let's say you had JavaScript that would replace content on a page, make an AJAX call, and if they didn't have JavaScript, you could do that same replacement server side. You can use things like YUI framework um, on, on the server and actually do things like... You know, find this div and replace its content with this new content. It's kind of interesting, but um, it might might be something I want to play with more. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm also doing the audiobook thing. So I have finished No Crash, which was my reading assignment out of PyCon from Hillary Hanson, M. Hansen something that gave a keynote there. Interesting book where all uh, there's a virus that only affects computer hackers. Um i give it a B minus, I guess. I wasn't totally floored or anything, but it was an interesting read. And then it's, I'm just... Uh,
1: Gibson or Stephenson? Oh,
0: no, I haven't... I didn't get the author's name down there yet. Darn it. Um, I don't know. While I look for it, I'll, uh, I'll let you know. I'm, the other I'm one ahead. I'm finishing is um, Wisdom of the Crowds. And so I've kind of gone off my... I normally save my uh, audiobooks for fun books, but uh, I had a couple back-ordered, you know, buys, so I bought a couple books in a row. And this Wisdom in the Crown seemed interesting with the idea that when you get people who individually may not have the answer at hand, can actually come up with the very reasonable approximation of the right answer together. Um, so while no one knows what the speed of light is in your group of ten people, if you ask, you know, ten's a small number for a group, but if you were in theory if you were to ask the ten, you would actually get maybe 95 to 98% close, just asking the 10 people, what do you think the speed of light is? And, and they would kind of throw their guesstimates out. So, um, but a lot of interesting, you know, notes on group think, how to put together groups to, you know, make them diverse and good at coming up with good decisions. What makes groups oftentimes come out with horrible decisions? You know, what are some bad traits of a group to put together? um you hear a lot you know what do you mean how to form a committee yeah exactly I, i've been on tons of committees that can't get a good decision for the life of them you know um and it's a lot about how the committees are put together that basically dooms them to failure see politics um so kind of kind of interesting i'm not all the way done but i'm i'm down like the last hour of the audio material so i think i'm pretty close so i figured i would bring it up it, it's a it's a good listen slash read so that's all i got man whoo
1: we made it <laughs> what a show what a show
0: i know welcome back baby uh, yeah we should do this more often
1: no we shouldn't <laughs> we should do the show more often we shouldn't do these you know
0: yeah uh, catch-up episodes or <laughs> oh definitely oh and so the snow crash was neil stevenson so that's right okay you are right okay. There. um Yeah, so let's call this one a day, and hopefully we'll see you guys back in two weeks from whenever this gets out and hits the uploaded server. So with that, let's just get out of here. Uh, Until next time, hopefully in two weeks, I will see you guys. I am Rick Harding.
1: And I am Craig Maloney. We'll We'll catch you next time. Lococast.net.